0: Luke 4, uh, 14 to 30. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, Then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also hear in your country. Then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way.
1: Well, life is full of zero to hero moments, isn't it? You know those moments when people are down in the dumps and then from out of the ashes, against all the odds, they, they rise up to glory, fame and success. The Stephen Bradbury moments. Life is full of them, isn't there? And we love them, don't we? Why wouldn't we love them? These are, these are stories which give us hope when we are down and inspire us when we're out. But for some reason, and I don't know why this is, my life seems to work the other way. I can't remember many zero to hero moments in my life, but I can certainly remember plenty of hero to zero ones. Moments when I've been riding high and feeling really good and smug about myself, feeling like I'm nailing life, and then all of a sudden, I'm brought crashing back down to reality. That kind of thing happens to me all the time. So, for example, once when we needed some lentils for a soup my wife and I were making, I, in this great hero moment, self-sacrificially took the burden upon myself to go out to the shops, to drive to the shops and get some to save the day. Thinking to myself, well, you know, not all heroes wear capes. The only problem was... I returned with the wrong kind. I brought canned lentils instead of dried lentils. And I don't know if you know this, apparently they're not the same thing. And apparently you can't use canned lentils in a soup. So my hero husband moment became a zero husband moment in the blink of an eye. Or a similar thing happened to me last year when we were moving house. Some guys from church actually had very kindly offered to help me load the track, truck. And at this moment, my years of playing Tetris as a teenager came really to the fore. I knew I was impressing the fellas with my Tetrising skills as I put everything in the back of the truck perfectly. I knew I was reaching hero status at that moment in their eyes until we got to our new house. And as I opened the back doors of the truck, our expensive piano slowly started toppling backwards off the edge of the truck towards the ground with everything behind it coming down too. And if it hadn't been for one of the guys who was helping me out, Nath Gal from PM, who like, kind of like Thor or the Hulk in this super moment of strength, just caught everything and held it there while we, while we kind of took it off, all that weight off him, I would have lost it all. And his majestic Thor-like moment of strength meant my bacon wasn't cooked. And he became the hero that day. And once again, in an instant, in a moment, I was back down to my regular zero status. And look, I know it's not just me, right? Life is full of these kind of moments. We see this kind of thing all the time. Celebrities, sports stars, politicians, pastors, for every zero to hero story, you can always find one that works the other way, can't you? And in our passage today, this is exactly what happens to Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, this incredible thing happens where Jesus goes from hero in everyone's eyes to zero in a moment. Just look at how people treat Jesus at the start of our passage there in Luke chapter 4 verse 14. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. You see, Jesus is a hero at the start of this passage. But look at how they treat him by the time we reach the end down in verse 29 there. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. So how does this happen? What does Jesus do in this passage that makes everyone go from praising him to trying to kill him in a matter of moments, in the blink of an eye? How does Jesus go from hero to zero so quickly here in Luke chapter 4? Well, to answer that question, we actually need to work out why Jesus was a hero here in the first place. And you can see why that is in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Have a look there. It says, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, This is Jesus' great hero moment in this passage. right? This is why everyone loves him and praises him at the start of Luke 4. See, so in Luke 4, Jesus returns to Galilee, to Nazareth, in fact, the town where he grew up. And one Sabbath day, he, he heads down to his local synagogue, cracks open a scroll, which has Isaiah on it, finds a passage from Isaiah 61, and reads it out. Now, as far as hero moments go, that's a little bit underwhelming, isn't it? Jesus' big hero moment is doing the Bible reading at church. And don't get me wrong, I'm thankful for people who read the Bible for us at church, but let's be honest, this is hardly tessellating furniture perfectly into the back of a truck, is it? I mean, I'd be more impressed if Jesus had just come back from the markets with the right kind of lentils, right? Because reading the Bible doesn't seem like that much of a hero moment. But Jesus is is not a hero simply because he reads Isaiah 61 here. No, the people treat Jesus like a hero because of what he does next. Look there in verse 20. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's what sends everyone bonkers for Jesus. That's why they praise him and and treat him like a hero. It's because he says, oh, by the way, this, this passage in Isaiah, this passage that has such great hope, that speaks of the Lord's favor coming to his people, this passage in Isaiah, it's actually about me. Which is an incredibly bold thing for Jesus to claim about himself, isn't it? especially when you you understand what this passage from Isaiah is really all about because i think one of the things one of the mistakes we make it, it would be easy right to read this passage and think that Jesus is talking about something that is merely physical here cuz at first glance that's kind of how this passage read and as you read through Luke's gospel we see Jesus literally do these kinds of things that Isaiah 61 is talking about. He he makes blind people see, he sets free people from demon possession, he heals the sick, he feeds the poor and the hungry, time and time again, he does these great physical wonders throughout Luke's gospel. Which is why, and I want you to hear me when I say this, as Christians, we do actually need to care deeply about this kind of thing. It's why we do days like this. It's why as a church we're committed to organisations like Compassion, to partnering through uh, with local churches through organisations like them. Because loving those in need, loving the oppressed, sticking up for the downtrodden is the heart. It's at the heart of the God we worship. Hear me when I say that. And yet, when we understand Isaiah 61 in its original context, It helps us to see that Jesus is talking about something much, much bigger here. And just as an aside, this is why it's always good when you come across a quote in the New Testament that's talking about the Old Testament. It's always good to go back and work out what did it mean in its original context? That's good Bible reading practice because it helps us better understand why the authors of the New Testament use it in the first place, what it truly means. And in its original context, Isaiah 61 was written to the nation of Israel, who were currently a people in exile. Israel at this time, they they were under the oppression of the Babylonian Empire. They were captives, oppressed, a downtrodden people. But ultimately, that was because of their sin, right? This is actually what we've been looking at over the past few weeks as we've been digging into Jeremiah here at church. Israel, how Israel had turned away from God how they'd worshipped other gods, how they'd forsaken the one who rescued them and loved them. And it's into that context that Isaiah 61 is speaking. Right? It's into that context that this this promise of good news about the Lord's favour was made. You see, Isaiah 61 is about something even more important here, even more pressing then physical poverty and oppression in the eyes of God. It's actually about God dealing with the problem of Israel's sin. It's about God restoring, promising to restore a rebellious people back to him. It's about opening the eyes of people who are blind to him. It's about releasing those who are spiritual slaves, slaves in their heart to rebellion and sin. It's about making rich those who are spiritually poor, who are cut off from God, separated from God, from relationship with Him. And so Jesus, in this little synagogue, on just another regular old Sabbath day, He takes the scroll of Isaiah. He reads out this passage and He sits down and He says, hey, this hope this promise that is made in Isaiah 61, hey, ultimately that, that is all about me. I have come to proclaim this good news. I have come to bring the Lord's favour. I have come to deal with your problem of sin. And so, of course, when everyone there hears Jesus say this, of course he instantly becomes a hero in their eyes, doesn't he? It's kind of like if, if Gladys, right, was to jump up tomorrow morning and announce that we're all getting out of lockdown, that, that she's dealt with the virus, that it's no longer an issue for us anymore. We're all free to go. Now, imagine that announcement. Imagine how you'd feel, except imagine it coming after hundreds of years of lockdown and imagine it not just being about lockdown and the virus, but about the real problem of sin. And you can get a sense of why people respond to Jesus the way they do. Like in verse 22 there, where it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Why wouldn't they speak? Why wouldn't they be amazed of him? What Jesus says here is the most wonderful, incredible news. So why does it all go south so quickly? Because remember, actually, in fact, just four verses later, the same people who praise Jesus as a hero here, they try to throw him off a cliff. What does Jesus do to them that makes him go from hero to zero so quickly in their eyes? Well, look there at what he says next in Luke 4, verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard you do in Capernaum. Now, that's a little bit weird to try and work out what's going on there. What on earth does Jesus mean by that? Jesus has everyone eating out of the palm of his hand at this point. Then all of a sudden, he starts talking about proverbs and prophets and physicians and healings. It's strange and and hard for us to get our heads around at first glance. But what actually really helps us is remembering where Jesus is as he says these things. Remember, Jesus is in Nazareth at this point. He's in the town where he grew up. He's at his local synagogue. He's in his hometown amongst his home people, which helps us really understand that whole physician-heal-yourself thing that Jesus says people will say to him. Because when you think about it, if a doctor is sick, if a physician is sick, what's the first thing that they should actually do? Well, before they go out and help others, they they need to fix themselves, right? They need to get themselves right. And then they can go and help those who aren't healthy become more healthy. They can go and heal others. And in essence, what Jesus is saying here is that the people of Nazareth will say this thing about themselves to him. They'll say, you've come to bring the Lord's favor. Great, great. Well, get cracking right here and now in Nazareth, the place where you grew up. Do the same things that you've been doing in Capernaum, these incredible things that we've heard about. Do them right here in your hometown. Heal us, the people, your own people, before you bring the Lord's favour out to the world. And that's why verse 24 is such a handbrake on this whole situation, because Jesus says, Well, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now, you can see why they might be a little bit offended by Jesus at this point. Why he gets offside with them in an instant. They say, hey, uh, give us this Lord's favor, Jesus. We want that. And Jesus says, I would, but you guys don't actually want me. Truly, I tell you, he says, you're going to reject me. And he tells these two stories from the Old Testament, which precisely illustrate the point he's making. So verse 26, he talks about this widow, Zarephath, from the, te- from the time of the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 16. And then verse 27, he talks about this leper named Naaman from the time of Elisha the prophet, who you can read about in 2 Kings chapter 5. And Jesus says, you know those guys, right? Well, there, there were many widows in the time of Elijah, weren't there? There were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah and there were many men with leprosy in Israel in the time of Elisha. But who did God's favour come to back in those passages? It came to a widow from Sidon and a leper from Syria. Sidon and Syria, Gentile regions, non-Jews Jesus is talking about here. Jesus says, remember that those were the people who received God's favour and kindness because Well, the people of Israel in that time rejected God's prophets. They rejected his messengers, Elijah and Elisha. So Jesus' point here in Luke chapter 4 is that you people of Nazareth, you people of Israel, you are just like your ancestors back then. And you'll reject me too. And the good news, well, the good news will actually be received by the Gentiles. The Lord's favor will come to the nations on the world because because you, Israel, you think you want the Lord's favour, but you're just too proud to acknowledge your own sin. Your own sin. And that's what the Gentiles were able to do. And this is, this is the really jarring part about the good news of Jesus, isn't it? It's that it's actually only good news in the face of bad news. It's one thing for us to say, and we say this all the time, don't we? It's one thing for us to say to our world, Jesus loves you. Because who wouldn't want to hear that message? Everyone wants to know that they're loved, don't they? But it's another thing to say that Jesus loves you by dying on the cross for your sins. Because if that's true, then that would mean that we are all sinners that we're guilty of turning our backs upon God, that we're guilty of rebelling against Him, that we're worthy of judgment, condemnation of hell. And that's not an easy thing to come to terms with, is it? But Jesus' point in this passage really is you must come to terms with it. You must come to terms with it if you want to receive the Lord's favour. Because the Lord's favour is about forgiveness for sins restoration of relationship with the god who we have rebelled against and that good news is just as offensive today isn't it as it was in the time of jesus and you can understand why the whole synagogue tried to throw him off a cliff here but i think one thing that's worth me saying at this point is you've actually got to ask yourself why does jesus say this when he had the whole synagogue eating out of the palm of his hands Why would Jesus say something he knew would make them turn on him? Why would Jesus say something that he knew his listeners would find hard to come to terms with? And I think it's because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, Jesus knows this is true, doesn't he? As much as we might not like to hear it, Jesus knows it's imperative. He knows it's crucial that we do to the point that he says, I'm going to say this truth to you, even though you might hate me for it. To the point that we'll see by the end of Luke's gospel, he willingly chooses to go and die on a cross for it. Because sin is the real issue. Jesus knows this. And only once we're humble enough to acknowledge our guilt, only once we're humble enough to acknowledge we've rebelled against God, only then... Will we cast ourselves upon him and know the joy of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the Lord's favor that we so urgently need? So here's a great challenge for us from this passage. Have you reached the point in your life where you know you need Jesus? where you're humble enough to acknowledge your sin and cast all your hope desperately on Him for forgiveness. So you might be watching here today and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, or or maybe you call yourself a Christian, but the idea that Jesus would say we are sinful actually is kind of challenging and confronting to you. I know it was confronting for me when I first came across this idea in the Bible. It's so easy to like the idea of Jesus even call ourselves Christians, to like the Christian lifestyle or his teachings on what is right and wrong, but never acknowledge our own guilt, our own sin. And Jesus makes it pretty clear here in Luke chapter 4, doesn't he, that that just won't fly with him. The whole reason he came, the heart of his mission, his purpose on earth is is to bring forgiveness for sins, to rescue us from God's coming judgment his justice and look you might have questions about that at this point we'd love to help you investigate it more if you'd like that you can actually just shoot us a message via our text number and we'll get in touch with you to work out the best way that you can ask those questions and get the information around jesus that you need to make a decision because jesus makes it so clear here doesn't he that this is what we need most of all salvation and forgiveness that comes through him which actually kind of helps those of us who are listening here today who have taken that step, who do trust in Jesus for our salvation. Because what it does is, is it really crystallizes for us what matters most of all in this life. What matters most of all in this life is that people hear this good news about Jesus, that they, like us, have the opportunity to put their trust in Him. In fact, did you notice as we read through Isaiah 61 before, how much it talks about proclaiming there. Three times we see Jesus says his mission is actually to proclaim good news, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to proclaim the Lord's favour. At the heart of what Jesus wants for this world and for us as his people is that this message of salvation, forgiveness for sins is proclaimed in all the earth so that people might humbly put their trust in him and find what it is they need most of all. You know, I've found this such a really helpful truth to cling to in the midst of these last few weeks. As this whole COVID thing for us here in Newcastle, at least, has come a lot closer to home. It's helpful to read passages like this because it puts everything in its rightful perspective, doesn't it? Don't get me wrong, COVID is a problem. It's a massive problem that we need to work on getting through and, and God willing, we'll be able to come out the other side of it. But, but it's not the biggest problem in the world today. It's not the biggest issue we as a society are facing. The biggest issue continues to be and will always be until Jesus returns, people's rebellion against their God. The issue will always be sin. And in the midst of covid there's actually lots of opportunities we have to continue to share the good news of of Jesus with people. You know, you can pick up the phone, give someone a call, ask how they are going and offer to pray for them. Now, that might be a little bit weird, right? You might prefer texting or something like that, but we can reach out to people and ask them how they're going and offer to pray. We can share stuff with them about Jesus online. Sermons, right? Uh, church online, gospel explanations, on our YouTube channel, you'll actually find there's a whole bunch of great resources like answers to big questions that you could choose to send to a friend for them to investigate. You could even prepare them a little care package or something like that. Take it to their house, drop it off and leave a little note, letting the, letting them know that you're thinking of them in this time, maybe with a little Bible verse or something like that on it. This is actually the moment to do that kind of thing because it's these these moments where people are asking those big questions about life. And a wonderful thing is, I know you guys are doing this and I know that by God's grace, Jesus is saving people. I was talking to a girl just this week who decided to follow Jesus even in the midst of COVID because she was struck by by the grace of Christ and her need for forgiveness for sins. Even in COVID, Jesus will still bring people to him. So I've got to be on about proclaiming the gospel even now. Which is why, lastly, I'm, I'm actually really glad that in God's providence, today of all days, we're celebrating Compassion Sunday. Because this good news, as we've seen already, is at the heart of the work in which Compassion seeks to do. It's why we as a church are committed to partnering with local churches in Bangladesh and the Philippines in sponsoring children who are in need because compassion is about more than just seeking to meet their physical needs of those children in poverty. At the heart of compassion's mission, as we've seen in the story of Angeline, is this desire, this prayer for those children to hear about Jesus, to humble acknowledge their guilt before him, their sin before him, and just like us, know the joy of putting their trust in Him. That's why they actually do their work through local churches. Because children need food. Children need sanitation. They need education. Of course they do. That is a real need for people. But most of all, they need to know Jesus. As we sponsor children, as we write letters to them, as we commit to praying for these children in the Philippines and Bangladesh, We've got this wonderful opportunity, right? This wonderful opportunity, not only to help meet their physical needs, but to give them something of even greater worth than that. To give them the opportunity to hear about Jesus. And what could be more wonderful than that? Because as we've seen in Luke 4 today, this is what matters, right? This is still what, this is why Jesus came. So that in humility... We might recognise our own sin and find the joy of forgiveness, the the joy of the Lord's favour, the grace of Christ, which we can find in him. Why don't you join me in praying? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for passages like Luke 4, which in the midst of so much that is going on in the world, just crystallise for us what it is that really matters. Thank you that they make it clear to us why it is that Jesus came. That he came to bring forgiveness for sins. Salvation for those who have rebelled against God. Restoration of relationship with him. Father, please give us humble hearts. Please help us to be not like the people of Nazareth who rejected him because we weren't willing to acknowledge our sin. Help us instead to recognize the depths of our rebellion against you, but then to joyfully cast all of our sin and our hope upon Jesus and know the forgiveness that is found in his name. Father, we thank you so much for the work that Compassion do, the way they help us partner with local churches in the Philippines and Bangladesh to sponsor children in need. But thank you that even more than that, they give these children an opportunity to hear about Jesus. Father, we pray that you would save many children in the Philippines and Bangladesh, that you would help them to cast their sin upon Jesus too. Father, we ask this knowing that you are a good and a gracious God and we long to see your name lifted up in our city and across this world.
0: And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.